0: We'll please take your Bibles, open them up to the Psalm ninety eight. If you don't have a Bible, there should be some on the benches you're sitting on. It's gonna be on page five hundred if you're using that Bible. We're gonna shift gears here and we're gonna we're gonna pray and just go into a time of, of studying and reading God's word. So let's let's go to the Lord in prayer. Oh Lord, you have done wonderful and marvelous things. You have so wondrously saved us. From the depths of our depravity, You have saved us. From addictions that have ruled us, You have saved us. From the false control that dictated our lives and has lied to us, O Lord, You have saved us. From lust that corrupts and corrodes our hearts, You have saved us. From every sin and dark desire thought O oh Lord you have redeemed us and saved us as David stood over the body of Goliath you have stood over sin by your mighty right hand you have conquered the curse you have crushed the head of the serpent and you have received your bruise you have saved us let us O oh Lord this, this evening remember the battle and the victory of the cross And through our remembrance, may your Holy Spirit strengthen us so that we no longer submit ourselves again to that yoke of slavery. For you have saved us, O Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So tomorrow is Memorial Day, which means there's going to be some big parades going on in the country. It also means that there will be a lot of different songs sung. There will be lots of different concerts going on. I think PBS is putting one on on their channel and radio show. And these songs that will be sung are, are, are typically patriotic songs that that signify and tell the story of, of a different battle that was fought, a different battle that was won. Our, our national anthem, the Star-Spangled Banner, is a song about the War of 1812. The British tried to come in, they tried to take Baltimore and the fort that was stationed there, bombarded it all night long, and the song tells the story of this great battle where at the end of the day our, our flag still flew. You'll hear another song play. That's probably the battle hymn of the republic, that that uh, is is about is about the Civil War. Uh, if you're a classic country fan like myself, uh, you might possibly hear Johnny Horton. Anyone know who Johnny Horton is? No? You gotta Google Johnny Horton. You got you gotta get some Johnny Horton. It's a Battle of New Orleans. It's it's a kind of funny song about about Andrew Jackson fighting the British along the Mississippi River and running them down the Mississippi to the Gulf of Mexico. It's really, really funny. Uh, but but we do these things in our country, and, and this is something that we have done as humans throughout time, where we sing songs that memorialize a, a hero or a great battle that was won. And we do that uh, to, to honor and and to remember. And we see that this was even taking place in the Bible. Remember, whenever David defeated Goliath, what the Israelites then began to sing, uh, Saul has defeated his his thousands, but David has defeated his tens of thousands. Made Saul really, really angry. Uh, one of the best ones, I think, is, is in the book of Exodus, chapter 15. Whenever God had just delivered Israel from slavery in Egypt, they went through the Red Sea, the water crushed down on the Egyptians, and on the other shore, dry as can be. Moses sings this song in Exodus fifteen, one through 7 It's actually longer, the Bible, I'm just shortening it. It says this, I will sing to the Lord, for He has triumphed gloriously. The horse and His rider He has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and He has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise Him. My Father's God, and I will exalt Him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his host he has cast into his sea and his chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The floods covered them. They went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power, your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. In greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your adversaries. You send out your fury, and it consumes them like stubble. The psalm that we're talking about today, Psalm 98, is a song like the one where we just read. It is a song of a victorious warrior. And Whenever Israel would come back from a battle that they had won, they would enter the gates of Jerusalem singing this psalm, praising God for the victory that He has brought to them. And So we're going to read this. Um, and then we're going to ask a few questions about it tonight. So let's go ahead and read Psalm 98. It begins in verse one. "O sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand, his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of God. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with a lyre, with a lyre and the sound of melody. With trumpets and the sound of the horn. Make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. The world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills Sing for joy together before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. What we want to do this evening is we want to look at this victory song and we want to ask three questions. We want to ask the question, what victory was won? We want to ask a second question, what should our response be? And then our third question, what is our hope? Three questions. What victory was won, what is our response, and what is our hope? Verses 1 through 3 tell us what victory was won. Here he talks about how the Lord brought victory. And as we read these first three verses, there's a lot of evidence within the text that this was specifically written about the Red Sea event. As we read Moses' song and we read this song, and we read the Exodus event, and we read this psalm, there are a lot of different parallels. The marvelous works of the Lord could refer to the ten plagues. The fact that all the nations have seen what has happened could reflect back to Egypt, where all the nations that Israel was traveling towards began to quake with fear because they had heard what God had done in Egypt. The fact that that God had remembered Israel once again makes us think back to Exodus when, whenever God remembered Israel and brought them out of slavery. There's all these parallels. But really, this psalm, historically, could have been written about any victory. Because the truth of the matter is, within the Hebrew mindset, a correct Hebrew mindset, all victories that are won belong to the Lord. What brings victory in a battle is not the number of chariots you had, was not the number of swords you had, it was not the strategy you had or the numbers you had. What brought victory to a battle was the presence of God and God's mighty right arm fighting on your behalf. That's what brought victory. And so this psalm could have been written about any of those victories. But what I want us to do is ask a question, how would we interpret this psalm through the lens of Christ? Jesus in Luke 24 said that all of the writings, all the Psalms, all the Proverbs, all the prophets, all the law are about him. The Old Testament is pointing to Christ. So interpret this Psalm properly. We have to say, how is this pointing to Christ? And what we find is that Christ is the ultimate victor. Christ has defeated the ultimate enemy. The, the, the enemy that we couldn't defeat, he has defeated. That was the battle that was won. I, I love the song that we sang, uh, Win My Soul, the chorus that we sing with that. Praise the one who climbed the hill and stormed the very gates of hell, who went to war with death itself to win my soul. That was a battle that was fought. Before Christ did that for us, we were bound by our sin, We were enslaved to it because we had rebelled against God. And our sin, many of us know and and still experience, our sin is a cruel and harsh master. But what Christ did whenever he became human flesh and he lived a righteous life, and whenever he died on the cross and rose again, what he did is he defeated that enemy. He set us free from death. He set us free from sin So we no longer have to submit again to a yoke of slavery. It says in Psalm 98, verse 2, The Lord has made known His salvation. He has revealed His righteousness in the sight of nations. Christ's righteousness was revealed in the sight of nations and is still being revealed today. This psalm is a psalm about Christ, about pointing to His ultimate victory over sin and death. So one of the things that we have to ask ourselves at this moment is, is this my song? Is this my song? This song isn't for everybody. If Christ isn't your victor, then it's not your song. You know Johnny Horton's song about the War of 1812 whenever Andrew Jackson sent the British a running with their squirrel rifles in the song? I have yet to hear a Brit sing that song. Never, never once. I never heard that song sung in an English accent because it's not their song. They didn't win that victory, so they couldn't sing it. My hope for you, my desire for you, is that Christ's victory on the cross becomes your victory. That through repentance of your sins and turning away from your old way of life and trusting in Jesus, this becomes your victory song, and you too can be set free from that sin and death that binds us right now. After the service, I'm going to be around. I'll be over there by the cups, giving those away to our visitors, and, uh, and we'll have uh, Ed, who did the prayer, will be here, and Jeff, he's in the back with the green shirt. If you're like, man, I, I really want to talk with somebody about making this my song talk with one of us, and we, we will be more than happy uh, to share with you about how to make Christ uh, your champion and your victor. I think this other thing that this song teaches us to do is it said sing a new song. So one of the things that we need to do, if you say, man, this is my song, Christ has set me free, I am free indeed, one of the things that we need to do is we need to sing new songs. We need to continually be thinking about what Christ has done for us. One of the ways I get the youth to do this is sometimes we'll ask the question, how is the good news, good news for you? The good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, yes, it has set us free from sin. But in our lives, that each looks a little bit differently. It might be that some of you, in your sin, apart from Christ, you, you were just bound by bitterness and you held grudges and you wouldn't forgive. But man, when Christ came into your life, He allowed you to let that stuff go. And the good news is good news for you because it brought you to the freedom of forgiveness. It might be that some of you, man, before Christ, you you were just bound by alcoholism. And through Christ, you realize that God has set you free. And right now, God is delivering you from that. That's how it's good news for you. See, the gospel message keeps on delivering us. It keeps on delivering us. Whatever sin is, is, is on you right now, know that Christ has and will continue to set you free from that sin. That's why we can keep singing new songs about what God has done. So, the victory that was won was the victory of Christ on the cross. Our next question is, is what is our response? We see this in verses 4 through 6. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth, break forth into joyous songs and sing praises. The the flat out application of tonight's sermon is man, as response to God's great victory, what do we do? We as God's people, we sing. We sing songs to our God. Ronald Allen says this in his book on worship called Rediscovering the Missing Jewel. He says, when a non-singer becomes a Christian, He or she becomes a singer. Not all are blessed with a finely tuned ear or a well-modulated voice, so the sound may not be superb. It may be out of tune and off key. Remember, worship is a state of the heart. Musical sound is a state of art. Let's not confuse the two. You don't have to sound good to worship God but you do have to make a sound. You do have to raise your voice. 400 different occasions in the Bible, there's references to people raising their voices in song to praise God. On 50 different occasions in the Bible, we as God's people are commanded to lift up our voices and sing to God. It's a direct command from God through Scripture. So that tells me, man, if, if I'm not singing, if I'm not praising God with my voice, I'm just not being a scrooge, but man, I'm sinning against God. I, I'm sinning and I'm breaking the command that he has given me because he has called me as his child, as his son, to sing his praises. And it ought to be my joy and my delight to do so. So here are a few quick truths to remember whenever we sing about why we sing and how we should sing. We have to realize that one of the reasons that we sing is that we sing to remember. We sing to remember. Bob Coughlin wrote this in a book that I really like. It's called Worship Matters. He says, Before written language was common, poems and music were often used during and after significant events. I have a sister-in-law, who just got engaged uh, in the way that her fiancé proposed was in song. Um, I think if I did that, my wife would have said no, but you know, it worked for him, that's good. Uh, so the music was used during and after significant events, such as uh, treaties, blessings, covenants, promises, and prophecies, to help people remember what had taken place. Coughlin continues, it's difficult for us to imagine a president singing his inaugural vows. But it wouldn't have been out of place in many ancient cultures. Moses and and the Israelites were about to enter the promised land. God told Moses that Israel was going to reject him and break his covenant. But God just didn't tell Moses. He gave him a song. This is what it says in Deuteronomy 31.21. When many disasters and difficulty come upon them, this song will testify against them because it will not be forgotten by their descendants. This is the truth we don't forget what we sing. we don 't forget what we sing. that's why many of the songs of our childhood come on the radio man we can we can we can bust out those lyrics like it was yesterday. We remember what we sing. That's why many of you who grew up in a Christian home still remember the, the children's songs or the memory verses that were put to music. And all in my family, and this, this is a good resource if you have kids, uh, there's, a, there's a group called Seeds Family Worship. And they take Scripture and they put it to music and they stay very close to Scripture and they do great musically. Uh, and we do that because we want our daughter to have a storehouse of of scripture and songs that she can go back to one day and say, man, I, I've hidden this in my heart. Man, it, it's helping me through my life. It's encouraging my faith. These songs, we remember them and we're able to recall them during our some of our darkest and most difficult times. I know um, a few years ago, whenever my wife and I went through a very hard time in our life, uh, my wife intentionally found a hymn Abide with me. And she learned it. and She memorized it. Because she knew that over the next months, she was going to need that hymn. And we were talking about it just just on Friday. And she said, I don't know how many times whenever I was just feeling alone and depressed and defeated, that my mind and my heart went back to that hymn and it sang it. And, And I was able to remember who God was and is, and will be. And I was able to remember who I am in Him, and what God is doing for me. That He abides with me. Man, music is a, is a powerful thing. And somehow, I don't know the science of it, but it gets in our brains, uh, and it won't let go. And when you're learning the right songs, that is a great thing. One of the things I challenge you to do is learn good Songs. Learn solid songs. The Songs that we sing here. Uh, man, I, I'm, I, I'm a lover of hymns. I love I love the hymns. So you know, I, I still sing those. I still teach those to my daughter. Um, but I encourage you to be a thoughtful singer. Be a thoughtful singer. A lot of you say, well man, I'm a thoughtful singer. I, I listen to K-Love. You know what? Like, K-Love's great. Air One is wonderful. But think about what you're singing. Not everything on there is great. Not everything on there is good. Not everything on there is solid theology. So make sure when you're singing a song that you're thoughtful about it so that you make sure you're hiding the truth of God in your head and and not a lie. So we, we sing to remember. Another reason why we sing is we sing to each other. Did you know that when we come to worship and we're singing our praises out, we're not just praising God. That's not the only purpose of our songs. But one of the purpose of our songs is that we are singing to one another. Um, think about the Star-Spangled Banner. You go to a football game, the flag goes up, uh, everyone rises, they put their hands over their heart, they begin to sing the national anthem. Why, why do you sing that song? Who are you singing it to? You're not singing it to the country, it's lines on a map. You're not singing it to the flag, it's, it's an inanimate object. No ears to hear. Why do people sing that song at games? Well, they're singing it to each other. They're singing that song to one another to remind each other of, of, of their allegiance, to remind each other of of, uh, of what it costs so that they could be there and and enjoy the freedoms that they have. They are actually singing to one another. When we come into the church building and we lift our hearts up in, in, in song, we're not just praising God. Yes, we're doing that. But man, we're also singing to one another. We are reminding each other that we are not alone in this world, but we are surrounded by the body of Christ who has been saved by the same Savior. We have the same beliefs, and, and we, we, we live the same spirit, and it's an encouragement. So, so one of the reasons I tell you this is, is to remind you that when you come in these doors and, and we're singing, you're not neutral. You're not, you're not, you're not Switzerland. You're not neutral uh, you can't just say, alright, I'm going to come in here and I'm going to have a scowl on my face, my hands in my pockets, my or crossed, and I'm just going to look angry. That, that's going to affect those around you. You're communicating to them during that time. Uh, so, So I think that's one of the reasons when we come in and we worship, we need to sing with gusto. We need to sing boisterously, raising our voices to the Lord, letting... Not only our voices, but our our bodies respond to what we're singing. One, because we're responding to a great God that deserves it. But also, two, it's for the sake of your brother or sister in Christ. We're singing to God, but we're also singing to one another. Ephesians 4.19, Paul commands this. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart. That's a command that we are to sing to one another. What's really interesting about that is what precedes it. What this is in response to. So you can look this up. It's in in Ephesians 4.19. You can go there later on. But this is what Paul is saying. He says Paul is saying, I want you to walk in wisdom. I want you to make the best use of time. I want you to understand what the will of God is. I want you to be filled with the Spirit. And then he says, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. The Bible has a very high view of music and of songs and singing to one another. One one final thought on this before we move on. If If you're a parent, if you're a mom or you're a dad, Don't limit your singing to church. Don't limit your singing to church. I think one of my best childhood memories is of my parents singing at home, singing in the car, singing while doing chores. Uh, I, I I had a singing set of parents. My mom had a voice like an angel, still does. My dad, not so much but it was still sweet. I think it's teaching your children what it means to love God. That love for God is not just for the pew on Sundays, but love for God is everywhere. It's when you're making waffles in the morning. It's when you're watering the yard, doing dishes, waiting at the stoplight. Be a parent teaches your child what it means to worship by worshiping all over the place. And I can guarantee you they they won't forget it and it will have an effect. We do have to remember that why we sing ultimately is we are singing to our God. Worship is an overflow of, of our joy and our delight that we take in Him. But I do want to take a moment, because I know not everybody feels that overflow and joy and delight when they come to church. That you walk in these doors because you know you ought to. That's a good reason to come to church. It's because you know you ought to. But you come in here, and you're just not feeling it. And you know you're going to sit next to that person that's probably loud and off-key, and you're going to be sitting there. And you're like, I want... I want to feel it. I want, I want that joy and I want that desire, but it's not there right now. It's a, it's an aching that you have within you. You you ache to delight in God. I want to encourage you that that aching to delight in God is worship. That is worship. You're not always going to be overflowing with joy and delight. Sometimes the best you can do is say, God, I want to to take joy in you. I want to take delight in you. And and there are going to be seasons like that in every believer's life, and and that's all right. We just have to continue to pray, continue to seek, and continue to wait in God. Our final question is, what is our hope? Verses 7 through 9. What is our hope? Let the seas roar and all that fills it, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. What we have here is a picture of the end of time, of the end of the ages, whenever Christ shall return. And we see this, how all creation is joining in the song you all remember when jesus was coming into jerusalem and the children his disciples were singing hosanna hosanna and and the pharisees and the teachers of the law tried to stop them what did jesus say man if if they don't cry out creation will when we go to the book of romans there's there's a great passage in romans 8 in romans chapter 8 verse 18 paul says for i consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that's being revealed to us. That's good news. For creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage and decay and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. What is Paul talking about? He is talking about when Christ comes back, this world of suffering, of pain, of futility, of frustration, of injustice is going to be gone. And when Christ comes back, all of creation is going to stand back and go, that's what I'm talking about. That's the way it's supposed to be. No more pain. No more sorrow, no more sickness, because the king is on his throne and he is ruling perfectly. That's the way that this victory song ends. It's looking for that ultimate, final victory when Christ is on his throne. What good news is that? We have to ask a question, though. How is this beautiful world that was just described going to come on earth? And here's the answer that a lot of us aren't going to like. It says in Psalm 98, verse 9, For he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the people with equity. How is this beautiful world with all futility and frustration and sorrows gone? How's it going to come? It's going to come through the judgment of Christ. And that's not something that's popular in our culture right now. What people love to say today is, I can't believe in a God of judgment. I can't believe in a God that would send people to hell. What I believe in is a God of all love. And that's what's popular today. But I, I want us to think about that very quick, quickly. Where do people get the idea and the concept that God is a God of love? It's not in any other religion. It's in the Bible. That's where they get this idea that God is a God of love. But the Bible also says that God is a God of judgment. When we approach the Bible, we can't pick and choose what we want and what we don't want. We can't say, I like this, I'm going to take it. I don't like this, so I'm going to reject it. But we have to take it as it's been given as it's been handed down to us. That's the way we approach the Bible. Also, think about this. The idea and the concept of the judgment of God actually, even now, brings peace and allows forgiveness. Think about it if God was only a God of love, universalism was true, um. Nobody goes to hell. We all go to heaven. Um, And let's say someone murders your loved one. How in the world are you supposed to forgive them? They're going to get away with it. The only way in that moment to get vengeance is to then take vengeance into your own hands. Because there is no God that's going to judge. Let's say that someone betrays you and hurts you. Can you forgive them? Well, no. Because my anger against them is the only justice that I'm going to get. Because God just forgives. But this concept that there is a God who comes into the world, who's going to judge the world, to bring peace, actually opens you up for forgiveness. You don't have to take vengeance into your own hands. Why? Because God is going to bring vengeance. God is going to bring justice. So what does that do for you? It allows you to forgive. Someone betrays you and hurts you and wounds you. Can you forgive them? Yes, you can forgive them. You don't have to hold on to your pain and your bitterness and your anger because God is going to bring justice. So this whole concept of god bringing judgment to the world is good news that we can and that the psalmist did praise god for and sing about and so what we need to do is we need to make sure that we're not only praising god for the victory on the cross but we're looking forward to the to the to the redemption of the whole creation so this is what i'd like us to do to end our evening. I know Chris is going to come back uh, with, with with the praise team and we're, we're actually going to practice some of uh, what I've been preaching. We're going to end with a song. Uh, it's, it's a familiar song that you know. And what I just want to ask you to do uh, tonight is just sing it boisterously. Sing it with gusto. We're going to leave the lights on so you can see one another a little bit better. And realize, man, you're not just singing to God with this song, but you are actually synced to one another as well.